right. Good evening to those here and to those watching online. It's good to be back on a Sunday evening back in the book of Judges. So if you have your Bible, turn with me there the book of Judges, Judges chapter 6. And this is where we spend our time tonight. We'll be spending uh, quite a lot of time. We're going to try to look at all 40 verses, the whole chapter. I just asked Gracie right before we got started. I said, do you think there's any way that your dad can do an entire sermon, 40 verses, in under an hour? He said, no way. So we're looking at an hour and 15. Easy here tonight. So I'm going to do my best not to do that. But here we are in Judges, and we're in Judges, Judges chapter 6. Let me remind you why we're studying the book of Judges right now in this time, this season that our church is in, our nation is in, uh, that our world is in, really. And, and the reason we're doing it is I'm going to show us what happens when a nation forgets God, when a nation abandons God, when a, when a nation turns away from God. Because that's what we're living in right now. We're living in a time where every day you turn on the news, it seems like the people are going insane. Like things are going crazy. It is very troubling. It's very turbulent. Uh, so we're living in this. And then I think in studying the book of Judges, we can understand the time that we're living in. We can uh, face the times that we're living in. And we can even live and thrive in the times that we're living in. And, and I think most importantly, which is what we're going to learn tonight, we can trust God in the times that we're living in. God isn't just a God that we can trust in the good times. He's a God that we especially can trust in the bad times, in the troubling times. So I want to show you that tonight as we look at this chapter. And I titled the sermon, Trusting God in Troubling Times. Trusting God in, in turbulent times. Uh, trusting God in terrible times. Because we need to learn what they learned here in Judges. And I think that, that God's trying to teach them that over and over and over. That they have a God who they can trust. That they can depend on. That they can rely on. So I'm going to show you that tonight. And I, I wouldn't dare try to read to you all 40 verses at the start. So I just want to read to you the first 10 as we get started. Judges chapter 6. Starting in verse 1, I want to read through verse 10. And the word of God says, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of, into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. And because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them the dens which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And so it was, when Israel had sown, that the Midianites came up. And the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them. And they encamped against him and destroyed, that's a key word I've underlined it there, they destroyed the increase of the earth till thou come, uh, come unto Gaza, and left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor ass. For they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came as grasshoppers, which means they came up in great multitudes of numbers. So they came up as grasshoppers for multitude, for both they and their camels were without number. And they entered into the land to destroy it. There's that word again twice, to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished. You see how terrible this time is? It's awful. They were impoverished. They were at the end of the road because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. And it came to pass that the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites. The Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. I brought you up from Egypt and brought you forth out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all that oppressed you and drained them out from before you and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But here's the key. But ye have not obeyed my voice. The preacher, the prophet there tells them exactly why they're going through what they're going through. It's their rebellion, their evil. So I'm going to stop there, and we're going to study this passage on trusting God in troubling times. So let's go ahead and pray before we jump into this. Father, we thank you for your word. And just as I prayed this morning, and I thank you helped us this morning. You, you, you uh, used that passage in, in all of our lives and hearts, and I thank you for that. And I pray you do that tonight, that you would give us ears to hear, that you give us eyes to see, hearts to receive, and wills to obey. What your word tells us tonight. And I know I've got a lot to cover, God, and I need your help to present these truths. And God, the people that are watching, there's a handful here, and there's a many more that are watching online. I pray that you enable them, God, to hear and receive this word, that we may understand what's going on in our nation, and that we can live and trust you in, in the midst of troubling times. So God, help us, and we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to, I want to quote to you a song. Uh, old, old hymn written by William Cooper. This is a guy that not many people know. It's a guy that we do need to know. It's a hymn that we need to know. And the name of the hymn is God Moves in Mysterious Ways. And he wrote this hymn from a place of deep, deep tragedy. 
his entire life was a, a life of, of tragedy. It was said of William Cooper, and I, you need to know this, you might need to Google this, just so you'll see him for yourself. It was said of him that heart, heartache was his handmaiden from birth. That from the time he was born until the time he died, he had nothing but heartache. He was one of two siblings that survived infancy. His mother died when, she, when he was six. He experienced terrible depression that bordered on insanity to the point where they put him in an insane asylum. And he stayed there for, for several years and attempted suicide three different times. And while in that asylum, in a room by himself, where many considered him insane, he found the Bible and was converted and turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and he, even after he got out of the same asylum, he experienced more depression. He had more struggles and, and deep darkness in his life. But out of that pain, that's why I want to, want to tell you about him, out of that deep, 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 dark pain in his life came one of the sweetest hymns that's ever been written. And again, the name of the hymn is God Moves in Mysterious Ways. And I want to read you a few lyrics here just so you'll get an idea of what this song is about. He says, God moves in a mysterious way. And then think about it. This is a guy writing from basically a place of depression. God moves in mysterious ways. His wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and he rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing steel, he fashions up his bright designs and he works his sovereign will. You fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds that you dread so much are big with mercy and will break in blessings upon your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Can I repeat that verse? Judge not the Lord in feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, when it looks like God is frowning upon us, he hides a smiling face. This comes from one of the deepest, darkest places this man could have ever lived. And this hymn has survived since the 1700s, and it's a song that has strengthened generations of struggling believers, encouraging us. Like he said there, take courage, fresh courage, thank you, Christians. Encouraging us to trust God, even in the midst of terrible darkness. And, and this is a time, he wrote this in troubling times, at times like ours, times like the judges. And that's where I want to turn to tonight, because I think they could have written this, this uh, hymn themselves, because they were in a terrible time, just like he was. It was evil, it, they had enemies surrounding them, they were doing what, what was right in their own eyes, which means they were doing whatever they wanted. And, and their enemies came and oppressed them, and they were cruel and, and overwhelming. But in the midst of that, like William Cooper in his hymn, they found encouragement in what God was doing in their lives. And that's what we need to look at tonight. We need to see who God is. That is our great encouragement in the midst of dark and trying times. We don't need to understand everything that's going on in our world. We just need to understand who God is. And that's what uh, one of my favorite preachers said this week. And quote, he said, I don't need to know everything about everything that's going on in the world, all I need to know is about God. And knowing God, I can trust God, and all this, all these problems that are going on in our world will fade out and become very, very small when I see how big our God is. And that I can trust Him, that I can lean upon Him. And we want to see that in these verses tonight, because God's not hiding Himself. In these verses, and, and sometimes you have to find God. We did that the last sermon. We had to look through the pages and find Him in the words and, and in all these different places. And then we really had a hard time looking for God. And we do that in our own lives. And in the midst of this, we're looking for God. How's God working here? How's God working there? But that's not what's happening here. In this chapter, God is on the forefront. In this chapter, God says, I'm not going to hide. I'm out in the open. Here I am, and you can trust me. And that's what we need to see tonight. We need to see that we can trust God even in the dark times, even in the troubling times, even when it's turbulence all around us, we can trust our God. So I want to show you God tonight in these, let me get 40 verses. It's a lot, but you're going to see God. And I think it'll help us get through our troubling times when we see what God's doing here and understand what God's doing here. So let me break this down for you. You think 40 verses, I have about 40 points, but I only got three that I'm going to work our way through tonight. And the first thing I want to show you in trusting God in troubling times 
Because I'm going to show you the prophet that God sends. The prophet that God sends. Because God sends them exactly what they need. Not what they want, but what they need. And he sends them a prophet. So starting there in verse 1. After 40 years of peace. After 40 years. Look at the, of chapter 5, verse 31. It says, when he goes forth in his mind, and the land had rest 40 years. Everything was calm. Everything was peaceful. Everything was easy. Everything was prosperous for 40 years. And then, verse 1, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They did it again. They haven't learned their lesson. And we, if you've been studying Judges with us, that's the common thing. God will come in and deliver them, and then they'll eat through evil again and fall into trouble again. That's what's happening here. God delivered them. They had 40 years of rest, and then all of a sudden they fell right back into the same old routine, turned back to their old idols, and they fell into evil again. That's no surprise. That's what we do. We'll cry out to God, God, help us. God, revive our nation. God, take this, this, this virus away. Take the mobs away. Take this politics. So like, God help us. And God comes in and delivers. And it doesn't take long. We're all back doing what we've all been doing again. So don't judge them for falling into evil when we do the exact same thing. So they fall into evil and God punishes them. We can't get away with our sin. God will punish sin. And it says, well, what does God do? He delivers them into the hands of Midian for seven years. God hands them over. When it says the word delivered there, God literally, says, what that word is saying is God literally takes them out of his hand. Think about this in America. God takes them out of his hand and he hands them over to enemies and says, here, they are yours now. Have your way with them. God does that. He orders the events that's working around in the world to ensure what would happen to his people. He hands Israel, because of their sin and because of their evil, he hands them over to Midian. Here, here's your enemy, Kanaki. I've had several people tell me this week, and just in conversations, and a guy in the parking lot this week says, say it to me. He said, boy, the devil's got a hold of America, doesn't it? Doesn't it? And I did the same things. I think, yeah, 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 he does. Yeah, he does. That's why I'm on the same day. He said the same thing. Well, the devil's got a hold of America, doesn't he? Yeah, 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 he does. But what we don't understand is, it's our evil in America, and God has now handed us over to let Satan have his way in America. Satan is on a leash and God is allowing him to do what he's doing because of our evil. And God's handing them over to Midian. And these Midianites are a different type of people. They're, they're a pagan nation. They're an ungodly nation, an unbelieving nation. And they're what they would be described as would be a nomadic people in that they, they don't come in and rule over a nation and then live there. What they'll do is Israel will be by themselves for a while, and when the crops come in and, 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 and all these great things are happening in, in the season, these Midianites will come in and, and they destroy it all, and they leave it and they come back again the next year. It's just during the harvest they come and then they leave. During the harvest they come and then they leave. And when they came, look what the Israelites did. Verse 2, in the hand of being rebellious Israel, and because of any nice, the children of Israel made them dens, which are the mountains and caves and strongholds. And so it was when Israel had sown, see that? They had their, their harvest. These Midianites came up, and the Amalekites and the children of the east, they came up against them. So they came in during the harvest, and, and the Israelites would hide in the hills and hide in the caves. They, they would sit and say, here they come. We're going to destroy everything. We've got to hide. They prevailed against them. There were numbers like grasshoppers, it said. They came riding in on camels. Invading God's people. And what would they do when they got there? It says in verse 4, they destroyed the increase of the earth. Do you see that? Verse 5, and they destroyed it. What did they destroyed? There was no sustenance for Israel. There was neither sheep nor ox nor ass. They took out everything that they had. They came in pillaging their villages and their towns. They came in on their camels, with, camels with, with numbers beyond uh, your imagination, and they would completely wipe out and destroy Israel. Every year, their children would sit there and say, are they coming again this year? We don't know, but we need to go hide in caves where they could show up at any time. And they come in, and everything that they've grown for a whole year completely wiped out in destruction. Land stripped, homes and villages destroyed, livestock wiped out. 
Everything they valued was gone. Why do they do that? Because that's what evil does. That's what Satan does. He steals, he kills, and he destroys. Our God is a God who creates. And we being a people that are in his image, we do the same thing. Godly people create. Godly people love beauty. But godly people have value. They create beautiful cities and beautiful art and beautiful music and beautiful churches and beautiful windows. God's people have always been about creating because that's the image of God in us. We love to create. We love beauty. We love all the, the beauty of the world. When you go to a, a, a nation that is full of, of, of godly influence, it will be the most beautiful nation in the world because they love to create beauty. But you go into a nation that is under the hands of Satanic influence. And it's stealing, killing, and destroying. It's ugly. It's tearing down, not building up. And you tell me what's going on in America right now. Is it a godly thing or is it a satanic thing? I don't have to go any further. We were a nation that loved beauty at one time. And we created, and our cities were masterpieces. And now there are people going through our cities and ripping it down. And you walk through some of our great cities in America today, and it looks like a third world country. Is that God or is that Satan? A God who creates and looks back and says, it is all good. Or Satan who steals, kills, and destroys. The evil people came in and destroyed Israel. It says they were impoverished. They were at the end of the road. They were overrun. They were in hiding. They were wishing for normalcy. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? This is what happens when a nation forgets its God. And they cry out, it says, we've got to move on. Israel was greatly impoverished, not just a little bit impoverished, they were greatly impoverished. They were without food, there was fresh graves everywhere. It was ugly. And finally, children of Israel in verse 6 cried unto the Lord. They cried out to God. They started crying out, where's God in this? That's what it means to cry out. Because they're, they're not crying out in repentance. They're crying out in pain. They're crying out saying, I thought God cared. They're crying out saying, we're starving. We're miserable. We, we grew this food and they came in and wiped it out and we got nothing. Where is God? Why is God doing this to us? We thought we were his people. They just didn't understand why this would happen to them. They're complaining when it says cry. They're bellyaching when it says cry. They're groaning when it says cry. They're not repenting to God. They're complaining to God. And what does God do? And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites. The Lord sent them. You see that? God always comes to the aid of his people. That's one reason you can trust God, because he always comes to the aid of his people. That's who God is, and that's what God does. He always is a promise. When you cry out to your God, he always comes to your aid. That's who our God is. And when they cried out, even in the midst of their evil, God showed up to help them. And how he helps them is not how we want him to help us sometimes. We cry out to God, God, come and help us. And we want it this way, and we want it that way. They wanted a warrior with a sword, and God sends them a prophet with a sermon. So when God comes to the aid of a nation, or a people, or individuals, he will come, but the way he comes isn't always what we expect. They ask for a warrior. They ask for a general. They ask for a deliverer. And God sends them, you see that there? The Lord sent a preacher. That's like called the fire department. When your house is on fire, and a pizza guy show up. That's not what we wanted. That's not what we expected. We don't need a pizza. We need somebody to put the fire out. And that's what they're thinking here. Here comes this man. And they think warrior. They think deliverer. They think a general. They think he's going to come in with a sword. And in comes a preacher with a sermon. And in that sermon, he had three points. I want to stop here just for a second and say, why did God send a preacher? Because in that moment, they needed to hear from God. 
more than they need delivered by God. And I can say that in our nation right now, is what our, what our nation needs now more than ever is not some kind of economic recovery, not some kind of physical recovery where we get some kind of vaccine for this virus. What our nation needs now more than anything else is to hear from God. They need preachers to stand up and to say, thus saith the word of God. They need to hear from God. What is God saying in this? What is God doing in this? It used to be the case that when tough times come, when troubling times came, that people stacked into churches and said, what is God doing? We need to hear from God in this. But now at this time, our nation isn't turning to God, they're turning to experts. They're turning to scientists. I'm not going to get experts. I'm going to get science. But we're not turning to who we should be turning to. More than anything right now, America needs to hear from God. They don't need to hear opinions or hot takes or rants or stories. They need to hear what God has to say. That's why God sent him a prophet. That's why God sent him a preacher. And he didn't send a prophet to predict the future. He didn't send a prophet to come in there and try to do some kind of social work in, in the nation. He didn't send a prophet to come in there and run for political office. A prophet prophesies. That's what a prophet does. A prophet that doesn't prophesy is a prophet. A preacher that doesn't preach is a preacher. It's like having a barber that doesn't cut hair. He's no good for nothing. You got a preacher that doesn't preach. He's good for nothing. So here this prophet comes in, and he is a mouthpiece for God. That's what a prophet is. He speaks for God. He speaks with clarity. Here's what God has said. And again, I said he's given a three-point sermon. Look at verse 8. I've got to hurry. Grace is my right. And the Lord sent a prophet. I would on that. But God sent a preacher who said unto them. Look at this. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. I mean, isn't that what we need in preachers today? To stand up and say, thus saith the word of God. This is not what I think. This is not my opinion. This is not my hot take. This is not me rambling. This is not me ranting. This is not anything other than here's what God says to this generation. To this time, we know God's word. We know our time. And we speak with clarity to our people. That's what we need. And that's what he does. And I'll hurry. He gives them a, a reminder in verse 8. I want to remind you that God brought you up out of Egypt. and brought you forth out of the house of bondage. Reminder where God brought you from. We need that in America. God did bless America. We need to remember that. We don't need to tear down our history. We need to remember our history. That's too political, Josh. No. That's what this says. Remember where God brought you from. I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of all that oppressed you. I dragged you out before them out before you, and I gave you the land. So there's a reminder. And here's the requirement. I said, I told you, three-point sermon, a, a reminder, requirement, a reason. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols. That's what it says. And that's exactly what they did. And in verse 10, he says, here's why you're in such trouble. You want to know why? You're in the hands of the Midianites because you didn't listen. Because you didn't obey. It's all on you. This is your fault. You deserve this. The suffering they were facing was directly tied to the sin they committed. And I'll say this before we move on. The suffering we're facing as a nation is directly tied to the sin of our nation. If that is not the most profound statement you'll hear from the sermon this weekend, I don't know what is. The suffering that we are facing in this nation is directly tied to the sin that this nation has committed. We deserve it. We deserve what we're getting, we deserve more. That's what the prophet said. That's what the preacher said. Preachers standing up and saying something like that today are afraid they would cancel culture. They'll get run out. But that's exactly the truth. What we're facing in America today is directly tied to the sin that we and in most cases, a prophet would stand up after saying that, and he'd say, judgment's coming your way. Seven more years. But no, God shows great mercy here. And I'm going to take you to point number two. Not just the, the prophet God sends, I'm going to show you the promise that God makes. Because here in these verses, and this is going to cover the bulk of the passage, God makes a promise. 
Look at verse 11. Exactly when you think in verse 10 that, that God is going to judge his people even more. The next thing you see in verse 11. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under, under an oak, which is an okra. And pertained unto Joash, the Abizirite, and his son Gideon. Threshed wheat by the winepress and hide it from the Midianites. So the first thing we see is an angel. And we don't know who this angel is yet. I want to say that again. We don't know who this angel is yet. But we'll get there. So we see an angel that showed up under an oak tree. That's where the angel is. And then we find a man named Gideon. And Gracie nicknamed Gideon. Good old Gideon. That's who we'll call him. Good old Gideon. And what's he doing? He's threshing wheat. But he's not threshing wheat. If you're threshing wheat, you want to be out in the open where the wind can come and blow it away. So you're out in the field where everybody can see you and you thresh the wheat and the wind will come in and blow it away. No, he's not threshing wheat out in the open. It says he's hiding in a hole. That's what he's doing. He's down in a line press, hiding from the Midianites. He's hiding. He's scared. He's afraid. And the angel, this is, this is so good. And the angel looks at him and says, look, look at verse 12. He's hiding in a hole. Gideon is hiding in a hole. He's in a hole in the ground. He's in quarantine law now. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said, The Lord is with thee, you mighty man of valor. That's kind of ironic. You great man of courage, hiding in a hole. I don't think God, I don't think, I'm, I'm scared away. I don't think the angel is being ironic or being mean. I think God sees what we will be, not what we are. Gideon isn't a man of courage and valor yet. Oh, but he will be. So he looks at him and says, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon responds, this is a great conversation back and forth. We'll just work our way through it. And Gideon said unto him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord be with us, he doesn't even mention the, the, the mighty man of valor comment. He says, Oh, if the Lord be with us, then why has all this stuff happened to us? And where's all the miracles which our fathers told us? Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? And now the Lord's forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites? How can you say that God is with us when everything around us is going to chaos? How can you say that? Look around. God isn't with us. God is against us. That's what he's saying. He, said, he must be saying, look at me. I'm in a hole in the ground. The grain that I'm threshing won't be eaten by me and my family. They'll come in and steal it. There's graves in the ground where my friends are, where they died recently. We're all about to starve to death. How can you say God will be, God is with us. God isn't with me, God's abandoned me. Is that not how we all feel right now? As we look at our nation, we say, God isn't with us, God has abandoned us. You don't see the pandemic, you don't see the deaths, you don't see the rioting, you don't see the looting. You don't see all that's going on, you don't see the politicians that are acting like five-year-old kids. You don't see what's going on. You don't see the economy. You don't see the churches that are empty. You don't see. How can we say God is with us? If he's with us, even if we can't see him. Even if we don't understand, we can trust that God is working in us and through us. Even if there's nobody in the church. There's more people watching sermons now than ever. God is here. God is with us. Even if we can't see it. That's what Gideon needed to see. Because the next thing the angel says back to him, and the Lord, and I think he's giving it away there, because that's how past. This angel isn't just a typical angel. This angel is a pre-incarnate Christ. This is Jesus showing up to talk to Gideon. I told you that God's not hiding in this. He's, he's out in the open. Here he is. Jesus shows up in a Christophany, in a theophany. Prior to his birth, there's places in the Old Testament where Jesus shows up. And here's one of them. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy mind. And Gideon, hide in the hole. Thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? He says, Go. You'll be okay. I'll be with you. And Gideon says in verse 15, 
Now I know you got to look at verse 15 thinking, oh no, 25, four verses. He said unto him, oh my Lord. So he's giving an excuse. Wherewithal shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is, is poor in Madison, and I am, am the least in my father's house. My family is lowly, and I'm the lowliest little runt in my family. There's no way you can use me. I'm inadequate. I'm no good. I'm small. I'm helpless. You can't use me. And anybody that says that, I'm helpless, small, inadequate, is impossible to use, is in the right position to be used. And the angel says, and the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with thee, and you will smite the Midianites as one man. Wow. That's all that he needed to know. The angel would look at it and say, oh, man, you're, you're great. Don't talk like that. He said, no, all you'll need. Yes, you are small. Yes, you are fragile. Yes, you are helpless. Yes, you are poor. Yes, you are inadequate. Yes, you can't do it. He agreed with it. Yes, yes, yes. But as long as I'm with you, you'll be just fine. Trust me. I don't have time to apply this, but I want to. Yes, it looks bad. Yes, the nation looks like it's falling apart. Yes, the, the churches are empty. Yes, everything looks bad. But we will be just fine as long as God is with us. We can trust Him. That's all Moses needed. That's all Joshua needed. That's all Gideon needed. In Matthew 28, when he sent them to all the world, he said, Lo, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. I'll be with you. I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. You will ne I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll go with you all the way. And that's all that we need as a church. We don't, we don't need it for everything that we'll look at it next week when we talk about size and we talk about numbers and we talk about money and we talk about big. We don't need all that. What we need is, is to know the presence of God is always with us. That's all Gideon needed to know. But he needed some reassurance here. So what does he say? I could preach a whole sermon on all we need is God is with us. All we need is God is with us. Jesus showed up at his birth. And what is, he shall be Emmanuel because God is with us. And Gideon's still scared, still unsure. Verse 17, he said, And he said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. And here's what he asks of him. I think this is remarkable. Give me a clear and unmistakable sign. That's what he's asking for here. It's okay for him to ask for a sign because he doesn't have a Bible. We don't have to ask for a sign because we have a Bible. So he says, give me a sign. He wants proof to back up what he just said. So here's what he does. He says, I, I want you to stay here. Don't you go anywhere. I love this. Stay here. I'm going to go back to the house. I'm going to make you lunch. Now I'm going to bring it back to you. And that would be the sign. Watch what he says. Do you think that's silly? I didn't watch. And then he said, Depart not yet. That's King James words. Stay right here. I pray thee, until I come unto thee and bring forth my present. I'm going to bring a gift to you. And I'm going to send it before you. And the angel said, I will tarry until you come again. And Gideon went in. And watch what he did. He made ready a kid, a goat, an unleavened case of an ephah, a flower. The flesh he put in a basket. He's even making a little picnic basket out of it. The flesh he put in a basket, and he put broth in a pot, and he brought it under the, under him under the oak and presented it unto him. Now, this took a while. This isn't like he went back to had all of it ready anyway. I'm not the cooker in our house, so I don't, I'm, I'm the looker in our house, so I'm the cooker. I don't know why I said that. I don't know how long this is to make like that. I don't know how long it takes to make a, a kid and then some soup and some, some bread. I don't know how long it takes, but I'm pretty sure he had to go and kill the goat. They had to make the bread. He had to put the soup in a pot. And he had to do all that. So he, it took him a while. And then he comes and brings it back. And he lays it on a rock and presents it before the angel. Watch what happens. He brought it unto him under the oak tree and presented it. And the angel of God said unto him, Take the flesh and the unleavened cakes and lay them upon this rock and pour out the rock. And he did so. And the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand. And he touched the flesh of the unleavened cakes. And there rose up fire out of the rock and 
consume the flesh and the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of the Lord departed, disappeared out of the sight. He consumed it with fire and vanished. And all of a sudden, lunch with an angel turned into lunch with God himself. He's not having a lunch with a prophet. He's having lunch with God face to face. God has shown up. God is there with you. You want evidence? You want a sign that I'm with you? I've been with you this whole time. I'm the one that's been speaking to you. I'm the one that's been near to you underneath this oak tree. I am with you. What shall Gideon response? And when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Lost, oh Lord God, I'm scared. I've seen an angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said unto him, Calm down. Peace be unto thee. Fear not, you're not going to die. And Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. Unto this day it is yet an Ophrah of the Abezerites. And he worshiped him there. I'm going to move on because this is still that same point of the promise God makes. And the promise God makes is I'm going to be with you. You ain't going to be without me. That's what Gideon needed to hear. It's exactly what we need to hear. God is with us. We don't need a sign. I don't need to pack a lunch. I don't need to get a lamb. I don't need to get some soup. I don't need to get an ephah of bread. I don't need to bring it laying on a rock. I don't have to do none of that. I have the word of God that says that he will always be with me. He'll be with me in the good times. He'll be with me in the bad times. That's the promise that he makes us. He's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. No matter how bad it gets, we know he will always be with us. We can trust that. You can take that to the bank. That will never change. He will always, always, always be with us. You get sick, he'll be with you. You go into surgery, and your parents can't go with you, he'll be with you. A Democrat gets in office, he'll still be with us. Republican in office, he'll still be with us. The numbers go down in church, he'll still be with us. Where two or three are gathered together, he'll still be with us. The money goes down in the church, he'll still be with us. You lose your job, he'll still be with us. Over and over and over, that's all that anybody ever needs is to know that God is with them. As long as God is with us, me and God are a majority. That's all that we need. I need God in this church. I need God in my family. We need God with us in this nation. And we have that promise. He's with us. And he made an offer. God has given him a promise of peace, of power, of his presence. What else do you need? And now he's ready to go. Let me move to the last point. See, we're making good time, grace of God. We've seen the prophet that God sends. We've seen the promise that God makes. I want to show you the last point. The plan that God gives. Because God gives a plan here, starting in verse 25. He says, here's what we're going to do to get you out of this. Uh, don't you love that? A step-by-step plan to get out of this problem. I love that. Let's get out of this, right? Let's get out of this. This is so good. This is what I've been waiting for. Don't you love a sermon that builds slowly and it builds to a crescendo when it gets to the high point? And now we have a step-by-step plan. And there's people watching online that you're probably not even going to make it at this point. Fast forward a little bit. Get your fingers. Just slide it down through there. Get to this point. Because God gives them a plan to get out of the problem. Here's the plan. Don't you love how our nation, the, the president will come up here, here's, here's phase one, here's phase two, here's phase three, here's phase 500, 15 days to slow the spread, and we're like eight months in now. Here's the plan. God gives a plan to get in and says, here's how we're getting out of this. The plan that he gives. He gives him three things to do. Three steps. Three phases, if you will. Number one, We've got to fight the enemy that's among us. Fight the, there's three enemies we've got to fight. The enemies he had to fight are the enemies we've got to fight. There's three enemies to fight. The first one is to fight the enemy among them. And I'll say this. That's the enemy within the church. The first enemy is in here. You say, what is it? It was the enemy that was in Israel. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Take of your father's young bullock, 
even the second bullet of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath cut down the grove that is by it, and build an altar to the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock, in the ordered place, and take the second bullet and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove, which thou, which thou shalt cut down. You see what he says there? He says, I want you to go out. And in Israel, they had built altars to idols. They built poles that the Israelites, God's people, would go and bow down to and worship and pray. And God says, I want you to go out among Israel. I want you to go out in Israel's sin. And I want you to cut down every altar, every idol, every pole that everybody in Israel is bowing down to. Because our God is a jealous God. And there will not be an altar to the God and to a bunch of fake gods. Cut those down and build one for me. Wow. Smash them down. Destroy them. The things that my people are bowing down to, destroy them. Two altars can exist side by side. One for a living God and numerous for dead gods. God is intolerant to false worship. And it shows here, and he does it, watch what he does. I'm going to read this and I'll apply it. And Gideon took ten men as servants, and did as the Lord had said unto him. And so it was, because he feared his father's household, and the men of the city, that he could not do it by day, he went before them down by night. He's still a little shaky. We'll get ten guys, we'll go in the middle of the night when nobody's awake, we'll tear them all down. God told him to do it. God didn't tell him to do it bravely. He obeyed. But our problem, number one, the real enemy of our nation is within our churches. It's not outside of us. It's among us. It's the enemy influences that have worked their ways into our churches. It's the evil influences that has worked its way into our churches, where our churches look more like the world than the world looks like the church. We have idols that we worship in the church that we have set up side by side with God. And it's time for the church to tear down those idols and to lift up our God. You say, Josh, you can't just say that and be so vague. What is it that we are bowing down to in the church? I'm glad you asked. Here's the real fight. Here's the first fight. The church has to tear down their political altars. We have to quit being about Republican and Democrat. We have to quit bowing down to whoever it is that's in our in office and saying this will be the savior of our nation when it will not be. Trump's not the savior of America. Biden's not the savior of America. Whoever they put up next isn't the savior of America. And the church for generations has, has been trying to change the nation through politics instead of by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've been bowing down at the altar of politics. We've been bowing down at the altar of movements. And I'm going to be real careful here because the church is bowing down on Black Lives Matter, on feminism, on LGBTQ. We've been bowing down to all these movements and letting them have their way. And they've been influencing the church and our children and generations. We've been bowing down to movements instead of bowing down to God. Those movements won't change America. Only God can change America. We've been bowing down to philosophic altars, entertainment altars. I'll give you one that's really going to get me in trouble. If the, if the last one did, this one will. Sports altars. Every time we drive by a Dom Tart in Kingsport, I look at Steph and I say, there's a church at Dom Tart. You don't know what I mean, drive by on Sunday. This is my baseball family. This is we come and we worship at the feet of a baseball or a basketball or a football. You see, churches in America is more worried about not having football on Friday night than not having church on Sunday morning. Bow down, bow down, bow down. He said, get rid of the altars that you're worshiping at and begin to worship the altar of God. That'll give me trouble. I don't know what we We can't get any less people in here tonight, so, so it ain't that big a deal. He goes and does 
The first fight that you fight is the enemy within. The second is the enemy around them. I'm not making good time. Verse 28. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, I'm going to read this just to show you how the men respond when they wake up and their idols have been torn down. Because this is how people respond when their idols get torn down. There's people that, are, that may watch this and may not. They'll sit there and say, Josh is talking about politics. I don't like that. Josh is talking about uh, philosophy. Josh is talking about movements. He mentioned Black Lives Matter and, and the LBGTQ movement and, and all these other things that are out there. Oh, Josh is talking about my baseball. I don't worship baseball. How dare he do that? That's how these people respond. When the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was cast down, and the grove, which is an altar, was cut down. It was mine. And the seven bullets was offered upon the altar that was built. And they said one to another, Who did this? And when they inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, son of Joash, has done this thing. These are God's people. Mad because their eyes have been torn down. Ripped away from them. The men, the men of the city said to Joash, Let's show up at his house. Bring out your son that he may die. <laughs> the problem with a lot of preachers today is there's not people trying to kill them. Because he's cast down our altar of Baal. Because he's cut down the grove that was mine. And Joash, which is good old Gideon's dad, said unto all that stood against him. What he says there is basically, let Baal fight his own battles. <laughs> Baal's just a piece of wood. He can't fight his battles. Will you save him? He will plead for him. Let him, let him be put to death whilst it is yet morning. If he be a god, let him plead for himself. Because, he, because one hath cast down his altar. <laughs> Let him fight his own battles. He's such a great God. What he's saying there is that those idols can't do you any good at all. Those idols that you worship will not save you. Only God can save you. Therefore on that day he called Jeroboam, saying, Let Baal plead against him, because he had thrown down his altar. So there's the first battle, and he won. He got rid of the idols. Good for him. He got the idols out of, out of God's people. Second, the enemy around him. These are the enemies of the Midianites. See that verse 33? And all the Midianites. These are the ones that are outside. All the Midianites and all the Amalekites and the children of the east were gathered together and they went over and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and look what he does. He's not in a hole. He's not doing it at night. What does he do here? He stands up in front of all God's people and he blows a trumpet. This guy's a man of courage now. He's not hiding it. He's standing out. No more holes. No more hiding. No more caves. No more knives. It's time for him to stand up to the bully. It's time for us to get this. I'm not telling us to take a fight to them. I'm telling us to stand up and raise our voices to them. We need to have the loudest voices in America. And again, it's not the voice of politics. It's not the voice of a movement. It's the voice of God coming from his word. It's time for us to get out of our holes. It's time for us to get out of our caves. It's time for us to get out of the hiding. It's time for us to get us out, out of the nighttime. And it's time for us to stand up and speak out and be courageous and bold and speak the word of God. Exactly what Gideon does there. He blows a trumpet. And he is this one man. And I've got to move on. We've got just a few minutes left. This one man. What influence? The courage of one leads to. Watch this. He blew the trumpet. And Abizar was gathered after him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who, all, who also uh, was also gathered after him. And he sent messengers unto Asher, and unto Zebulun, and unto Naphtali. And they came up to meet him. One man stood up and blew his trumpet, and that one man's influence brought one tribe, and a second tribe, and a third tribe, and a fourth tribe. And before you know it, he's got a whole nation of an army ready to go out and fight the Midianites. One man standing up, one courageous man, trusting God, standing up, ready to fight, influenced a whole nation. Well, there's the enemy they're going to fight around them. I give them two so far. We fight the enemy among us. We fight the enemy around us. Where's the last enemy? Within. Fight the enemy, we'll say it this way, in the church. 
Pop that in there. Get that loud. Pop the enemy outside of us that's in the world. And now we've got to pop the enemy that is right here. Fear in our hearts. Last one tonight. This is the we're going to be in our 15 minutes on. Verse 36. And Gideon said unto God, If thou wilt save Israel by my hand, as thou hast said, he's still scared. He asked for another sign. And there's nothing wrong with him being scared. He's outnumbered five to one. And they've got camels and he doesn't. He's doubting himself. He's not doubting God. I can't do this. Give me one more sign that you're going to be with me. He says, Behold, we've all heard this part of the story. If you've heard any part of Gideon's story, you've heard this part. When he lays out the fleece, here's a sign. Behold, I will put a fleece of wool on the floor, and the dew be on the fleece only, and dry upon the earth beside. Then shall I know that thou wilt save Israel by my hand, as thou hast said. So there's the first one. I'm going to lay this out, I'm going to lay a fleece out, and if the fleece is dry, and all the earth around it is wet, then I'll know you're going to be with me. And it was so, for it rose early in the morning, and thrust the fleece together, and wrinkled the, the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. And then Gideon said, okay, one more time, but the other way around. And Gideon said unto God, let not thine angry heart against me, and I will speak but this one time. Let me prove how great thee, but this once with the fleece, let it now be dry only upon the fleece, and upon the ground let there be dew. So let's change it around. Let, let, let's let the ground be wet, and let the fleece be dry. Verse 40. You guys have made that And God did so that time. For it was dry on the fleece only, and it was dew on all the ground. God did exactly as he asked him to do. And there's been so many books written on this. This is how we need to figure out our decisions. This isn't, this is not a good way to run life. And many people have done that. I'm like, God, if you do this, then, I, then, then that's a sign. If you do this, I think that's a sign. I heard a guy say one time he was sitting at a, I think it was a college, and he said that God, if the next one that walks through that door is the, is the, the one I'm going to marry. <laughs> and a girl walked through, she wanted the prettiest thing in the world, and he said, it must not be your will, God. It must not be your will. <laughs> the next one, the next one. That's not how things work. The Bible has full of advice on how to find a good wife. This isn't one of them. This isn't a good way to make decisions. This is how Gideon got assurance from God that he was with him. And God answers exactly. And now they're ready for war. And if I had time, we'd go into chapter 7, where we'd show you the problem that God has. You see that? We've seen, and I want you to see this, the prophet that God sends. We've seen the promise that God makes, the promise, the plan that God gives. And then we'll get to chapter 7, which we'll look at next week, and we'll see the problem that God has. And the problem is, this is the problem. Gideon has too many people. You can read it. I, 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 I've got a little bit of time, but I, I don't want to get into it. God looks at Gideon and says, there's too many people to go to war. He says, well, what do you mean? We've got all these people? He says, let's narrow it down a little. You go to your army, tell them if, if there's so many, anybody's scared, they can go home. And he dwindles it down. And it just keeps on dwindling it down because God wants it to be so small that only God can get the credit for winning the battle. I think the title of next week's sermon is going to be The Theology of Smallness. God loves to do great work in tiny, small things so that he gets the glory and Josh doesn't get the glory. So we'll look at that next week, the problem that he has. But I want to close with just a lesson that we find here. That when times are bad, when there's evil all around us and enemies within us and around us and outside of us and it's all, all over, we didn't know what Israel found out here, but what William Cooper found out in this song, that God can be trusted even when we can't see and even when we can't understand. We've seen him working in mysterious ways through 40 verses. And I know that God is working in mysterious ways my life, in your lives, in your lives, in this church. I trust that. But I can't see you right now in my life. And I trust you. I can't see you in my family's life right now. And boy, 
It's been a week. I've said that a hundred times. He said, Grace, you know, it's been a week. It seems like nothing's worked. And just one thing after the other. And I love it, Grace. I'll close with this. And Grace, you said the other night, we, Wednesday night, I, I don't want any, any sympathy at all. But Wednesday night, we left church. We walk outside. We get all seven of us in our van. And I reach to turn the van on and nothing. Said, what you do? <laughs> Nothing. You know, she's a cooper, I would look Try it again, try it again. Nothing. I said, all right, we'll leave here get close tomorrow. We'll get in the church van. Turn on the church van. It, it ain't working. We're sitting out there on the step thinking, how can seven people get home tonight? Who do you know that has enough room for me and Steph and, and four kids? And we're sitting there trying to figure it out mad and upset. At that moment, there's nothing. No way we can say God is in this. No, no way. I know it's a small. And Gracie Bell looked at me and she said, Dad, somehow, some way, God is working some good out of this. And at that moment, at that time, I want to look at her and say, are you serious? How can God be with us? Do you not see what we're going through? Thank you.